even our most basic assumptions, our most solid beliefs, and our most conclusive arguments can be changed, improved, or diffused, or shown to be irrelevant by a comparison with what at first looks like undiluted madness. Poor Feyerabend, farewell to reason. I first encountered conspiracy theories 20 years ago, just prior to 9-11. Back then, they were a fringe activity. I'm sure most people didn't personally know anyone seriously interested in the topic. Indeed, I was the only person I knew with an interest. Prior to picking up a book on the subject, the only conspiracy theories I'd heard of were the ones about JFK's assassination and the moon landings. I'd thought that was as far as they went. I'd also assume they weren't true. The Kennedy one in particular. How could such a thing escape the notice of the media and academia? If there was even a hint of conspiracy, how could American democracy go on? Surely it was nothing more than fertile imaginations being picked up on by pop culture. Fast forward to today and the landscape has completely changed. The internet has led to a massive proliferation of conspiracy theories. For good or ill, they have performed well in the marketplace of ideas. The porous nature of the net means such theories are thrust into the faces of people who'd really rather ignore them altogether. COVID-19 has certainly exasperated this. We have all been forced to recognise that we share space with those who think very differently from us, and whose thoughts we may consider to be both objectionable and dangerous. People who perceive COVID as a deadly pandemic may see conspiracy theories as perilous, detracting from entirely sensible public health measures. Conspiracy theorists, on the other hand, may believe they are witnessing a deliberate destruction of the world's economy and the emergence of the global fascist state they've long warned about. Both sides have never felt a stronger moral imperative to speak out. In recognising this state of play, I would suggest two possible paths emerge. The first, and overwhelmingly more popular, leads us to dig our trenches deeper and lob bricks even harder at the other side. This is the path of seeking to insulate oneself even more firmly in our existing worldviews, whilst dismissing all others, optionally in a condescending and sneering manner. The second, and often far more distasteful option, is to emerge from our trenches, let go of our egoic grip on our opinions, and open up to mystery. The sense of mystery that arises from acknowledging we don't actually know what this world is, or how it works. We don't know who, if anyone, pulls the levers of power. We don't know to what extent conspiracies operate, to what extent randomness is at play, or to what extent global circumstances are the inevitable consequence of incentives and the structures we establish. It may even be the case that nobody knows, even those at the top of whatever power structures do exist. 
If we can acknowledge rather than hide from this fundamental sense of not knowing, we may find that our attempts at understanding are enhanced by ideas that, as philosopher Paul Feyerabend says, at first look like undiluted madness. This door swings both ways. Just as conventionally minded people might learn something from considering conspiracy, so too may conspiracy theorists be occasionally enriched by taking seriously the undiluted madness of mainstream opinion. The path we take is our choice, and many will contend that resisting wrong ideas with all our might is the more virtuous course. It's a course that I, however, am insufficiently convinced of my own righteousness to be able to follow. I am therefore suggesting a kind of philosophizing about conspiracy theory, taking the ideas seriously, if not always strictly literally, and respecting their proponents enough not to write them off with cheap psychological dismissals. In the next episode, I'll continue this philosophizing by examining my own history with arch-conspiracy theorist David Icke.